We make all kinds of connections, from our neighbors to our co-workers, from family members to people we interact with in business every day. What about the connections we make to ourselves? Today, we'll explore the connections that we make and how they define our lives. This is Things Worth Considering with hosts Gord Riddell and Alexia Georgiousis. It's time to consider the possibilities. Good evening and welcome to Things Worth Considering. Uh, we're a weekly talk show that's all about connections, the ones we make and the ones we miss. Most importantly, the connection to ourself. We know that our guests will entice you and empower you. And hopefully they're going to give us things that are worth considering. I'm your host, Gord Riddell, and I am here with my good friend and co-host, Dr. Alexia Georgiousis. She's a naturopathic doctor. Uh, to our listeners who are observing Yom Kippur, I wish you to have a meaningful Yom Kippur. Um, we are live. If you would like to join our conversation, uh, you can call us toll-free anywhere from anywhere in North America at one 888 346-9141. Okay. So we have a friend of mine here. Her name is Angela McDonald. She's a very unique and courageous woman who's had a life journey that's kind of unbelievable. She has written a book, which I love the title of, where she has moved from the word impossible to I'm possible. And I thought that was incredibly clever. Mm-hmm. She speaks from an experience that she beat the odds to fully recover from a diving accident where she shattered her, her C7, the uh, cervical seven vertebrae, and was diagnosed immediately quadriplegic. She also died in that moment. And she had a near-death experience uh, as her head, neck smashed into the bottom of a quarry. The ultimate bottoming out, as they say in addiction. Um, Angela, early in her life, was diagnosed with epilepsy. And uh, she figured at some point, if she could recover from a diving accident, what's a little brain surgery? And she took a giant leap of faith, trusting her intuition, and she was freed from epilepsy after having brain surgery. I've seen the pictures. I've seen the halo. I've seen all the unbelievable. She today is a coach. She creates learning and development workshops to help others with uh, uh, or to empower themselves Absolutely, I'm possible is Angela's debut teaching memoir, self help, and inspirational book. Angela, welcome to Things Worth Considering. Thanks, Gord. You know, when I read this, if I was your father, I'm not even sure today I'd be letting you out of the house on a scorner. <laughs> It'd be like, hey, no, 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 no. We can go in 10 minutes. I'll be ready. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> really, uh, you know, uh, we'll talk about the dying one. So, you were diagnosed with epilepsy as a child then. Yeah. 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 Was, uh, at the age of 10. At the age of 10. Was it pretty debilitating for you? It was, I would say, more psychologically and emotionally than it was physically. Okay. Okay. What, so did, what, did, you find, what did you find psychologically and emotionally for you around that diagnosis? Um, well, as I entered into adolescence, it certainly impacted my self-esteem mm-hmm. um, and self-confidence. Absolutely. You know, it's kind of like a panic. Uh, in some ways, it's like a panic disorder that you're always waiting for it to happen. Yeah. And so you're on edge all the time and some days it doesn't happen <laughs> you know but people who have panic disorders i know epileptics have a very similar experience of just that guardedness all the time yeah you're and you're hitting the nail on the head there gord like i did always feel like i was on guard and always waiting 
Um, and I was, it was petite mouth seizures that I would have. So it would almost just look like I was kind of dazed and daydreaming. Um, Oh, hell yeah. I was like that all the time. (laughs) (laughs) And it wasn't physical, but I would know when it was coming on. And then I was always on edge of, okay, when is it going to happen? When's the next one going to happen? And there's a real sense of, I imagine in terms of hypervigilance and, and that in itself becomes a very stressful way to be in the body. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? It's so exhausting. Stressful. It's so exhausting. Yes. You know, people carry with that. Yeah. Yeah. So that was at age 10. Then you were being treated and, and, and so on. And then uh, what, during a petite mal seizure, you decided to dive in? Head first no. to a quarry? <laughs> it wasn't even that. I wasn't even. <laughs> well, I'm going to blame it on the epilepsy. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to say that too, but it was a conscious choice in that moment. <laughs> okay, tell us about it. Um, I was just I was out with uh, three other friends, a girlfriend, a boyfriend of mine at the time, and her boyfriend. We hung out with each other, the four of us, and we were bored, looking for something something to do that night of the summer, August fourth, to be exact, over the long weekend, and. We were, it was hot summer night, so we said, well, who knows anyone with a pool? None of us did. So we said, ah, let's go check out this quarry. And, uh, you know, walked down a, fo- a hill that was maybe 40, 50 feet down and uh, tested the water. It felt kind of warm. My girlfriend, she jumped in feet first before me. And just as I was about to dive in, she said don't it's not deep enough it was only up to her knees but as she said that i was already heading in the water and hit bottom instantly wow and you said it was at night it was at nighttime probably around 11 o'clock i think it was Mm -hmm. dark. and did you did you feel the impact were you aware of it i was i felt the impact um and i remember seeing stars and then I, I was hearing voices in the background of like my friends. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, it was like I started to leave my body and it was very fast in the moment. Like it happened in seconds. And then I could see looking down on my friends around me, my friend, girlfriend's boyfriend pulled me out of the water and they were like walking around me trying to talk to me. And I was just laying there aloof. And in that time, in that moment, I felt completely impact, like fully impact where my body was fine. And I saw this row of three, I would call them wizards or judges. And they looked like men with gray hair and long beards. And they started to, it was like they were drilling me with these questions. Are you sure your time's up? Do you want your life to be over now? Are you done with this life? But the interesting part of that was, it was up to me to make the choice mm-hmm. to stay or go. Mm-hmm. So who were wow, these people? That's incredible. That, like, uh, so you're, you're believing your body's intact, but in fact, you're not in your body. Yes, exactly. It was an out okay. of body, you know, that near death experience. But as I left my body, I was intact looking down at Absolutely. my physical body. That was not the fact. Hmm. Right, right. And were, did you have um, fear that you were called? Not in that moment, in the out-of-body. It was more of I was puzzled by what was happening. And then the, this, these questions I was getting asked, 
if I wanted to stay or go, if this life was over or I was not finished yet. And my immediate answer, I remember saying like, no, I'm not done yet. And then thinking to myself, where did that come from? (laughs) It felt like this other power that was guiding me. And in that moment, it was like a suction cup and I got sucked back down into my body like a vacuum. And that's when I remember kind of starting to awaken or become more conscious. And my girlfriend was pinching my arm saying, can you feel this? Can you feel this? And I said, feel what? Mm. And I could see the, the look of panic on, in her eyes, like, this is not good. <laughs> exactly. Wow. And, and, and then from there, I mean, obviously you were, you were taken to emergency and hospital and were you conscious of what was happening? By that point, I I was. Um, And, you know, being young, naive teenagers, we did all the wrong things. They picked me up, carried me up this hill, lifted me over a fence. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. Did all this movement. A a neck injury. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So they took me to the hospital and my parents met up with us. Um, And at that point, the, the hospital they took me to said, we can't take care of this. We have to send you to Toronto Western where they deal with spinal cord injuries. So I was transported there that night and the next morning we, they confirmed that I was a full quadriplegic. And I can't even imagine what came over you when you heard that. Yeah. I was in shock and denial, um, trying to make sense of it. And at the same time, I literally could not feel anything from my neck down. I On the one hand, thank I couldn't God. couldn't even raise my hand. Right. Well, I couldn't even raise Thank God anything. you didn't feel anything, though. Mm-hmm. You know, I hate to think what the pain would be like if, if that nerve was, was you know, transmitting uh, the pain of a broken neck. Yes, true. And, you know, and how long did you uh, feel... Because I think things like acceptance, and I know that that's something that must have been very interesting, especially the experience of having those beings, you know, asking you, are you know that was that was that coming to light in your own processing? It was. Um, I was still a bit confused about it, to be honest. You know, I was seventeen years sure. old. And trying to make sense of this whole experience that had just happened within the last 24 hours. Um, and thinking, what the heck is all this going on? And <laughs> at the same time, I was, I was naturally very rebellious as a teenager. <laughs> and I had that attitude about when I got the news that you are di- they diagnosed me quadriplegic, informed myself and my parents that it was highly highly unlikely I will ever walk again. There was like a 1% chance. And I remember the moments before going into surgery and the anesthesiologist was standing over my head, ready to push the bed into the operating room. And, and I said, am I going to get my feeling back? And he said, no. And I said, F you, I'm not. Oh, you did. (laughs) Wow. Wow. And then in that moment, I'm like, where did that come from? (laughs) Probably the old guys are the beards. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Now I'm curious. To, I want to go back to that for a moment. Is did they like ever like reappear to you in your life? Did 
whether it was in a dream or meditation or whatever it was, how was it that they uh, uh, came to be there in that moment? Like often we hear about people when they cross over, it's like a, a, a relative or a religious uh, archetype or, or whatever. Um, so I'm just really curious about these three the wise man, maybe it was a wise man, you know. That's what it was like to me, Gord. Really, it was it was like the wise men that were there waiting to direct me. Um, and from that point forward, it was really about getting in touch with my intuition and recognizing that voice and that inner knowing. Okay. Okay. So they didn't really ever appear to you again after you had that uh, not, time not with in them. the same. Yeah, not in the same form. Okay. Mm. So were you were you able to um and are you able now to still have communication with that energy? Because Absolutely. Okay. Yes. Right. Yeah, yes. really. Really. How do you feel about uh dying? About dying? I don't fear it. Um I feel that our life Every, every person's life, we have purpose. We're all going to die at some point. Um, but it Did is you say that again? <laughs> we're all going to die at some point. <laughs> Absolutely. Surprise. But our spirit, our spirit is, is different. Yeah. Your body yeah. physically dies. Um, but no, I don't fear death, um, especially after having that experience. I can mm-hmm. imagine. The near-death experience, definitely. Yeah. And, and what about your sense of you know when obviously something was in you about saying rejecting the the diagnosis or the prognosis and and were you how long were you in the hospital for and and what was what was that like in terms of your awareness of what was happening yeah so I was in the hospital for about six weeks um they graft a piece of bone from my hip and replaced the C7 vertebrae. Um, I went through traction for five days. And even though I had no feeling in my body, I describe it like someone was holding you by the neck. And I, I felt like tons of bricks tied to my feet, pulling on my body and mm. felt literally a pain in the neck. <laughs> <laughs> um and but no feeling in the rest of my body until one day one of the nurses came to give me my medication for the epilepsy and I was feeling this pins and needles sensation in my feet and I said to the nurse mm. why are you sticking needles in my feet and she said I'm not and that was the first sign of the feeling starting to come back yeah um, so I, I understand that a thousand percent because that's what happened to me when my feet were frozen. Wow. I had no feeling. And then yeah. all of a sudden this tingling, like when your foot goes to sleep. Like exactly. Pins and needle things. Exactly. Like that it times times a thousand. It was the most painful experience when it, it accelerates and it just keeps getting you know bigger and bigger. But it was like, you know, the tissue was coming back to life again. Exactly. Or the nerves in the tissue. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I still get that. Really, really. That's yeah. how you experienced it too. Wow. You yeah. must have been incredibly um, were you excited? I mean, I, I don't that, I don't know if that's the word for it or or cautious, you know. No, I was excited. Like it was like another sign, another clue. Because that from that from the moment it this all happened, I started to awaken to and look for signs and clues to validate what I said 
going into surgery that F you, I am going to walk again. You swear at the like, same time, <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> but then at the same time, I'm like, I don't know if this is true or not, but I'm not going to settle. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And then, you were so going to give into it. No, absolutely yeah. not. No, exactly. So, yeah. So they let me, I started to get feeling back and they decided that at about six weeks, um, I was well enough to go home, but I would need um, home care. And I had to do physio for a year. I went to Lynnhurst for that uh, three days a week for Good a hospital. year. Yeah. Um, and just, it took about a year and I was gradually getting my feeling back through my whole body. And your family and your parents, I can only imagine what <laughs> they were feeling and your friends as well. Yes. Yes. It was a roller coaster for all of us. <laughs> Especially the ones that were with you the night you dove into the quarry. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that would have been that would have been a tough one to live with to come and visit you, you know. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Well, well, we're we're not going to a quarry, but we are going to take a break here and we're going to go to commercial and we will be back in two minutes. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Imagine a place where ancient wisdom and modern research combine to create a non-judgmental, dynamic educational environment. We believe learning is much more than just theories. It is the application of those theories that anchor your learning deep inside yourself. Our physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual selves are embraced and nurtured, learning how to create an internal balance. This is Transformational Arts College of Spiritual and Holistic Training. Since 1988, we continue our mission of spiritually focused education for all who seek. We offer integrative personal development and professional training in spiritual psychotherapy, holistic health care, spiritual director, coaching, and esoteric studies. We are located in Lawrence Park in Toronto on Young Street, north of Lawrence Avenue. It's easy to get to and harder to leave. Visit our website at transformationalarts.com or inquire at TAC at transformationalarts.com or call us toll free at 1-888-TAC-SELF. Transformational Arts, bringing body, mind, and spirit together. It's time to serve, learn, change the world. Tune in each week for The Power of Young People to Change the World, hosted by NYLC's CEO, Amy Muirs. The program is a forum for both young people and the adults who love and support them. We make connections with others through stories of change, partnership, and new perspectives of issues facing the world today. Be sure to join us every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time or anytime on demand on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Listening to Things Worth Considering with Gord Vidal and Alexia Georgiusis. We'd love to hear from you via email to info at spiritgrows.ca. That's info at spiritgrows.ca. Now back to Things Worth Considering. Welcome back. You're listening to uh, Things Worth Considering, and we're here with Angela McDonald. Um, and Angela, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm really fascinated by the whole near-death experience that you went through, obviously. Um, what, what, why did you return to your body? Many people would have taken that as like, I'm out of here. I'm not, you know, this is a great time to cut out 
not going so well. Hate mm-hmm. being a 17 year old, you know, um, I can get rid of the parents. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, what, what's, what fueled all that? What's, what's underneath all that? If you want to yeah. share. Yeah, you know. no, that's a good question. Um, Cause I had actually attempted suicide twice before that accident. And oh, I, wow. often, I often say that, you know, that was an unconscious suicide attempt. And hmm, it sure. was that third point of showing me that you're not done yet. So I just felt this inner intuitive sense that there was other things I needed to experience and heal and in turn give back to give other people hope. Okay. That's so incredible because it sounds when you say it of really a sense of the soul saying it or, you know, saying that there's more here. Yeah, exactly, Alexia. That was my soul guiding Mm -hmm. me. At that time, I hadn't figured all that out. It wasn't like I was really trying to make sense of it all. But that was that inner sense of feeling that I'm not done yet. There's more that I need to complete in this life. And now hindsight, that has been my experience that I overcame the diving accident. I overcame the epilepsy. I've had so many miracles in my life and two other near-death experiences. So I'm like, okay, what? there's, there's got to be other a ones. purpose in all this. <laughs> Do you and keep trying to escape and they keep sending you back? I know, right, Gordon? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I've spent my life past trying to make sense of the human makeup and um, huh. really feel like I've transformed in a 360 and want to give other people hope because I came from a point of, I want my life to be over. I'm going to end it. Um, and especially when I was diagnosed the quadriplegic, I had decided that if I don't walk again, I will commit suicide. I'm not mm-hmm. living with both of these things. What have you learned now about suicide, though? <laughs> oh, it, that, it's, it is a mental and spiritual journey and pathway we go down that you can heal, yeah. you can transform from. And it's a short-lived, you know, that, that intensity of the suicide yes. is... It only lasts a little bit. It's, you know, it's breathing through it. It's somehow or other, you know, not letting it become so overwhelming because it does, it could within like minutes, it begins to subside. You know? Yes. Very it's true. not a, it's not a 24 hour a day experience. You know, it's yeah. kind of like, it's like a really bad roller coaster, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's love and down, love and down, yep. love and down. It's not letting that down part take us further down than what it needs to. Yes. A hard thing to explain though. So you understand what I'm saying. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really important that we get that message out there. You know, yeah. I think that people, you know, who choose to go with their, by their own hand, I mean, it's a choice that they make, you know, mm-hmm. and, and we all have those choices, you know, that we're, we're allowed to make them, you know, it's just that it just requires so much more work. Yes. It really, well, you know, and, and Angela, do you find that, I mean, I know I don't, I've never found personally, um, Teenage years are easy. Mm -hmm. My own experience, it was not something that I didn't, I would never want to go back to my teenage years. You know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's a very difficult time, I think, for, for a lot of kids. It is. But for you was, I mean, this would have been such a massive awakening at, at such a young age, so massive that, you know, time doesn't really mean anything on some level, but but the the pieces that you started to uh, understand 
how, how did they come to you? How did those pieces come? It was through, you know, synchronicity, opportunities that would present themselves, um, reading lots of self-help books. Um, I felt and that you were aware enough to see the synchronicities. Absolutely. Like Tons I said, of people get them and they just keep right on going right by them. They don't identify them is what's going yeah. on. Well, my mom was the angel in the moment because the one book that she gave me after I had a year after my accident um, was Louise Hayes' book, Heal Your Body, mm. uh, which led me to reading You Can Heal Your Life. Yes. And that, okay. that was, that's what broke the dam for me and awoken to me that there's more meaning in things that happen in life and there's a direct connection to it emotionally, spiritually. Right. There really is. And, and did you end up deciding, because now in your work that you do, was that sort of the the outcome is that you started to deepen your your awareness and practice or or did you do other things before you decided to to coach and do the work you're doing now? No, my whole life has been this journey on self-discovery. Um, any work I've done personally, professionally, courses I've taken, education I've completed has all had some interconnection to making sense of life. That was a, definitely a point of impact, wasn't it? <laughs> Literally and metaphorically. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. boy. You know, wake up. You wake up, exactly. And the, and the head, you know, the head and neck in particular, right? So mm-hmm. it it's, it's really is something. I know Byron Katie, that happened with her, right, with a car accident or something where she hit her head and then all of a sudden she had a, a lot of awareness in terms of seeing. But as a teenager, you were you – were, stepping into a, a very um, wise place. Yeah. You know? After that accident, I really felt like I had jumped ahead leaps and bounds into a different headspace than friends around me. I was going to say that. Yeah. 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 Like they, was, there wasn't a relating that was happening anymore. Right. I, I was going to ask you that about how your relationships changed because typically we know that when, there's awakenings that, that mm-hmm. relationships often change. So did that happen for you as well? And how so? Absolutely. And I think one of the obvious signs was I started to relate more to people that were older than me by at least 10 years. So a lot of the friends I started to develop relationships with were much older than me. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I understand that part. Mm-hmm. And, and what would you say to someone who you know, feels, let's say they have a diagnosis or a a chronic condition in particular. Um, And what would, I mean, and I know it's difficult because it's very individualized, but what would be something generally you would sort of share with them if, especially if they've kind of lost hope and they didn't have that, they don't have that fiery sense of, yeah, I'm going to do this. Mm Mm-hmm. The first thing that comes to mind, and I talk about this in some of my book, is really being your own advocate. Um, I am absolutely grateful to the neurosurgeons that have the talent and skill and ability to do what they do. To me, they're genius. At At the same time, we need to listen to our own body and be our own advocate because doctors don't have all the answers. What? Um, they are, you know, <laughs> magnificent in the area of practice that they know. 
Yeah. And, and, and the knowledge is available in that area. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah I agree with you. Yeah, totally. Well, and that's the true heroic medicine. Heroic medicine is when, you know, it's a war zone and serious accidents like this happen because it, it requires such immediate attention and precision. Yes. And it's different from chronic illness. That is not heroic medicine, right? It's like, at least in my mm-hmm. opinion, um, but it's a sense of this aspect of, you know, you're seeing trust yourself, but what does that mean for people? Because it's very hard sometimes to trust yourself and be your own advocate, especially when you have an ailment. Yes. True. True. And early on in my journey, I would, I will agree to that. It was scary because in a sense, it was really surrendering to the unknown. And yeah, you were a kid. Yeah. Really 17, you're a kid. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. you know, I, there was a lack of talking when I had my my feet frozen and I was taking finally into sick children's hospital. I was brought down from up north. And what I didn't know was that they were telling my parents there was really nothing they could do. They needed to take the feet off, or my legs off, actually, at my knees. Now, I didn't know that, uh, but I had a grandmother who was a medium and a mother who was a powerful and they were like, that ain't going to happen until you do everything. You know, they were mm-hmm. amazing advocates for me. You know, it, it would have been if my parents had not had, and my grandmother, uh, I include that as my parents, hadn't had that, you know, that, that chutzpah, that Scottish chutzpah, you know, that uh, I probably would be in a wheelchair today or at least mm-hmm. would have prosthesis on, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what the doctor says here. They didn't even tell me this was a, a remote possibility. This was not even discussed, you know, mm-hmm. and I was in there for about five months, you know? Wow. Yeah. I graduated from school there. Uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, not completely, you know, but so, I mean, that year. Yeah. And Gord, that's a good point. So Angela, what about your parents? Did they believe that you could recover? Do, were you, uh, do you know if they did? My mom, you know, she's that nurturing type, an amazing mom, um, but worried. Right. Yeah, of course. Really, really worried. My dad was very optimistic, worried at the same time. But I remember when they decided to let me go home, I still didn't have all my feeling back. And they advised my parents to make the house wheelchair bound um, or accessible Mm because it was a two story home. And and my dad took it with a grain of salt, um, but basically said, yeah, we're not going to do that. We're not going to. so yeah and that's that's kind of where I get my grit is my dad definitely him and I were like no we're we're gonna find a way we're not gonna do that I don't care if she's in a wheelchair we're not doing that yeah (laughs) (laughs) it almost sounds funny in a way but I understand where he was coming from yeah no he was very optimistic too um I think more than I was in the moment um but as time went on and I started to get the feeling back, it just increased that optimism that, yes, this is going to happen. Have you ever asked them, where did that strength come from in them? You know, uh, to have a child that's potentially, you know, who is quadriplegic, potentially forever wheelchair. And it's not just wheelchair bound. I mean, it's bound, period. Mm-hmm. And then to have an optimism that isn't like a fake hope. You know, mm-hmm. where, does, where did that come from in you? Have you ever talked to them about it? You know, my dad, it was interesting because he was a motivational speaker and taught mm-hmm. um, huh. self-development. 
seminars. Oh, oh you're kidding. That's and goal hilarious. setting and time management, <laughs> the psychology of selling. And really, oh, yeah. And he was an avid reader. That's where I got that from, too. Um, yeah. And I really felt that looking back on it now, he he was optimistic and willing to set a goal and work with me and support me around that. That's amazing. So great. Yeah. And it, it shows what is really involved in healthcare, right? In yes. recovery and yeah. healing that there's, it's, it's just, it's not, that's what allows full healing to happen on every level of your being, especially what you went through mm-hmm. every aspect of yourself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It has to be that integration of mind, body, spirit. Yeah, definitely. We can't do one thing, you know, we can't, we can't go for just therapy and expect to have permanent change if we're not taking care of lifestyle, nutrition, exercise, like everything mm-hmm. about, and to have a spiritual practice yeah. you know, that, that also augments that. You know, those, those three things, and they're so saying, this goes to the church, this goes over here to your doctor, and this, well, we'll, we'll see if we can get you on a waiting list to talk to somebody. Yeah. yeah. So, Angela, we're also, I'm curious, are you still friends with those friends? Unfortunately, I lost touch with them. Okay. Um, just on our life journeys, going yeah. in different directions. Yeah. Yeah. I was just curious if they, if they, when you were, you guys were still in touch at all. No. Okay. Well, we also, it's a point of growing, as you said, you, you related more to people who were much older than you were, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. um, and, and it just, yeah, that journey just takes us to a different place. And I think that scares people when we talk about, say, spiritual awakening is like, well, I don't want to lose anything. I don't want to give up anything. Mm-hmm. I want the same people, but it's like, a, it's usually not a group that goes through awakening simultaneously. Right. Yes. You know? right. yes. Like, right. Bring my friends with me. We'll all do it together. You know? uh, Here, you try it. Yeah, really. exactly. It's not a rave. Um, <laughs> you know, so it's, it's, that scares a lot of people because it's kind of like, you know, loneliness is so pervasive in our society that the idea of having to not have those friends there who we mm-hmm. really relied upon, it's just scarier than hell. Mm-hmm. And that you are making a good point, Gord. Like I would say, in many ways, it was a lonely path in the sense Absolutely. of I had to take it on my own. Yeah. And I would have many conversations or try to share things with people, and they look at me like I have four heads. Like, what the heck are you talking about? But it made total sense to me. Mm. Well, you would be a quadriplegic. You would be a quadrahedric or something. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, and Angela, did you, um, what did you notice in terms of, I'm curious if your sense of um, personality or ego, whatever you want to call it, how it shifted? Because I, I imagine it, it would have. Your whole identity is completely shifted. Definitely. <clears throat> um it really sent me on a path to step into who I was authentically and make meaning of my life. Mm-hmm. And I decided at that point that I wasn't going to live by someone else's terms or have to try to fit into another bubble, that I wanted to live life that was aligned to my own purpose and being. And you really knew what that purpose was now by having that near-death experience. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I don't recommend that as a way of finding out. There's other no, ways neither to do, do it, I. Right? <laughs> there are other ways to do this. Yeah, yes. yeah. But what, to have a sense of that though is just 
I think so liberating. Definitely. And sometimes, you know, some people, some people think that our life purpose is lofty and, and we want it to be like, we're going to change the world or we're going to invent a, you know, like the polio vaccine or something, excuse me, or or a cure for diabetes. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's that one person that, you know, excuse me, we, we stop from killing themselves or we raise as developmentally disabled or being there for our parents. Those are life purposes. And we get very caught up in, in the loftiness of it. Yes, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. It's sometimes not as big as Angela, you're going to be the next queen of England. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Even though England has ceased to exist actually as England a number of years ago uh, or of the UK. So um, yeah, I, I guess I just wanted to put that in that, that's where one of the places we trip, mm-hmm. you know. Um, anyways, we need to trip on out of here uh, because we need to go to commercial break. We'll be back in two minutes with Angela McDonald. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Imagine a place where ancient wisdom and modern research combine to create a non-judgmental, dynamic educational environment. We believe learning is much more than just theories. It is the application of those theories that anchor your learning deep inside yourself. Our physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual selves are embraced and nurtured, learning how to create an internal balance. This is Transformational Arts College of Spiritual and Holistic Training. Since 1988, we continue our mission of spiritually focused education for all who seek. We offer integrative personal development and professional training in spiritual psychotherapy, holistic healthcare, spiritual director, coaching, and esoteric studies. We are located in Lawrence Park in Toronto on Young Street, north of Lawrence Avenue. It's easy to get to and harder to leave. Visit our website at transformationalarts.com or inquire at TAC at transformationalarts.com or call us toll free at 1-888-TAC-SELF. Transformational Arts, bringing body, mind, and spirit together. Unravel the mysteries of metaphysics every week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Join host Barb Crowley as she and her insightful guest share what's been learned behind the veil, going just beyond our five senses. Now you can see things with an entirely different point of view. Tune in for Metaphysics, A View Through the Veil, broadcasting live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Use it to explore your advantage and deeper understanding. Listening to Things Worth Considering with Gord Riddell and Alexia Georgiusis. We'd love to hear from you via email to info at spiritgrows.ca. That's info at spiritgrows.ca. Now back to Things Worth Considering. Hi, welcome back. Uh, we're talking here with Angela McDonald, and we are, I'm making fun of her actually because she, she had a halo, which is the most horrific. You know, medieval, uh, um, but important, you know, piece of medical equipment that we have. And you, I've seen pictures of it uh, from with you in it, actually. Yes. Uh, that must have been horrific. Yeah, it was kind of weird. 
I had to wear so it for six months. I was making fun of her, Angela, the angel with a halo. <laughs> There's got to be another way to get a halo than doing that thing for six months. Yeah, Bad gig. Not a good gig. <laughs> Once uh, was enough. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. Because they do boreholes into your head, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. So was that the- I literally, that- had, I literally had four screws screwed into my skull. <laughs> you got a screw loose. My mother used to say, what do you got, a screw loose? <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. I've had a few people say that to me. <laughs> <laughs> that would be really my mother. That's okay. Um, I just say that I had my brain surgically mastered when I had the brain surgery. Okay. So yeah, let's go there. Well, tell us about the brain surgery. That sounds even scarier than putting in a halo. Well, I just, I felt five years after my recovering from the diving accident, I had reached a point where I was on the maximum amount of medication I could be taking for the epilepsy. And Uh, my neurologist had suggested brain surgery when I was 16, um, if I wasn't going to grow out of it. And at that point I was like, no way. But then I had, you know, six years to really think about it, ponder it, you know, sit with that idea. And at, you know, 22, after my accident, I said, okay, let's do it. And I really intuitively felt this positive, overwhelming energy that the outcome was going to be good. And I thought, hey, if I can overcome a diving accident, what's brain surgery? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I have trouble with that argument, but anyway. (laughs) And you did. So, is this the where they you're like awake and your brain's exposed and they touch a part of it with an electric? Current? It really depends on where they have to go into the brain. So they did four weeks of testing with me and to see where the seizures were occurring, which was in the left temporal lobe. And so after four weeks of testing, the neurosurgeon came to me and said, Well, we're doing a couple more tests, but we may need to keep you awake because it's close to your figure of speech and short-term memory on the left-hand side. And, and I, and I was like, Oh my God, I have to be awake through this. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Um, But then they came back a few days later and said, well, it actually looks like we can put you out. So I'm like, good. So I did not have to be awake for the surgery. Um, Wow. And they found a scar the size of a pea in the left temporal lobe that was caused from the high fever when I was a baby. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And that's what was causing it. Yep. <sighs> yeah. And again, they told me, you know, Amazing. you're still going to have epilepsy. It might not be as bad. It could be worse. And then all the other risks that came with having brain surgery. And I said, no, nope, it's going to be gone. And, and you knew. You somehow knew. Yeah, just this inner knowing. And I woke up after that surgery, which was about six hours. And the first words out of my mouth to my parents as they were by my bedside is, it's gone. Wow. This, was this in Montreal, if I recall? It was, yes. It was, yeah. So, I thought I, I'd read that, yeah. Yeah, my, my neurologist here in Toronto, who I'd seen for 14 years, I said, when I made the choice to have the brain surgery, I said, I don't care where I need to go in the world. You send me to the best neurosurgeon you know to do the brain surgery. And it happened to be uh, Dr. Villamir at, at the Montreal Neurological Hospital. Fantastic. Yeah, it's amazing. You know, that's it's such an amazing, amazing, uh, you know, journey that you've had. And then when did you decide to, when did you come up with the book? Well, after I had my diving accident, um, Dr. Charles Tatter was the neurosurgeon that operated on me at Toronto Western. And he had asked me to go speak to some high school students about the dangers of diving. 
and not doing it. <laughs> not, not doing, doing it. Not doing right. what I did. <laughs> um, and at that time, I was like thinking about, I was such an avid reader, starting to read more books on self-help. And I thought, I'm going to write a book one day. I need to give back what I've overcome to give other people hope. Mm. But over the years, I just, I kept checking in. Okay, is it time yet? No. Is it time yet? No. <laughs> and this year, I got a big shout of yes. Now you need to do it. Especially with the pandemic and what's going on. Because mm-hmm. it really, my intent is really to give people hope and see that there are possibilities even in the challenges that you may be facing. And it differs for all of us. Um, I'm not saying that what I've overcome will be the same for others. Um, I've seen that firsthand. I know people that have had brain surgery for epilepsy and still have seizures. Mm-hmm. Sure. People sure. who had similar accidents to me with the diving accident, but did not get their feeling back. However, my message is really to identify the miracles that are around you and the possibilities and be your own advocate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is a whole piece of gratitude, isn't it? Absolutely. Identify what's around you. You know, start and, with what and, you have. Yeah. And, I, and speaking to that about the gratitude, Angela, did you find that you had to also, did you go through grief? That's what I was curious about. Did you go Absolutely. through grief? Okay. Absolutely. And I talk about grief in my book and mm. the ups and downs and different experiences in life that will bring us to that place of grieving. I've had multiple experiences in my life where I've had to go through that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think it keeps, it repeats and it allows us to keep evolving. And mm-hmm. what I love about what you're doing is you're, I love the, also what Gord was saying around how you've worked this instead of impossible that I'm possible. Mm-hmm. It's so beautiful. It's so concise and mm-hmm. profound that it changes. Even when you say it, there's a vibration there. Yes. Yeah. You know, that I can sense. Yeah, there's a phrase on you know on your your dust cover of the for the book, uh, mm-hmm. which is a I really really like the style of the book. You know, Thank you. there's so many books that we read, and it's like okay, next, you know, kind of not that it's just a where do you go with it? You're very set up with questions and exercises and things people can or not choose to do that kind of brings your that chapter into reality for someone mm-hmm. you know and i think that that is often missing where they put out a workbook separately so you got to read the book then you got to do the workbook this is like just a nice you know work your way through it at your own pace i mean mm-hmm. it's very well done but just seeing you know we've all heard the phrase you know absolutely impossible we mm-hmm. can like absolutely impossible and you have that on the dust cover and then it's like absolutely impossible and I, I really applaud you for coming up with that title. I think it's a Thank great you. title. Yeah. yeah. I think it's a great book. I really do. I really, really think it's an excellent learning book. Thank you. you know, I went through I recognize some of those things I made you go through. <laughs> exactly. No, honestly, Gordon, I was about to say that Transformational Arts College and the psychotherapy program that I completed there and then the years I spent teaching there all have had a significant influence on this oh, book for you. me. Thank you. What about Absolutely. me? No, Absolutely. <laughs> you did. What hey, about me? You were, you were the oh, first boy. instructor I had. And you really? were the one, you really? and, the, you and I were the ones that had I that conversation. For that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. But I remember you, you saying to me when I 
had asked about teaching there after I finished the program and that you had commented that you were kind of watching over me and considering that. I was. Yeah. And then I said, absolutely impossible. <laughs> <laughs> and you said, but I'm possible. Uh, watch me. <laughs> watch, yeah, watch me now. Yeah. So absolutely. I get I get a sense, Angela, that you're quite competitive. I don't know about that. I okay. really, I, I am always looking to what's the next goal to achieve. And I'm my own cheerleader. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, me competing to, with me in the sense of, I'm better now than I was yesterday. Gotcha. Okay. I'm better today than I was last yeah. year. So it's okay. always, I look at life like climbing a mountain and you re- reach plateaus. And just when you think that you've, you know, completed <laughs> some transformation, another opportunity presents itself for you to grow oh, yeah. more. Oh, yeah. And you need to start climbing again till you get to that next plateau. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't see you as being competitive at all. Yeah. I see you, I see you uh, uh, more driven. Determined, yes. very determined. determined. Yeah, I should probably say determined more than anything. Yeah. That it was, I guess, I guess, well, it's my interpretation of how we see competition, and that is as against someone else. You know, that yeah, but it's not it's, exactly. It's not what, yeah, it's more within the self, but it's you're not competing. You're basically saying you're 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 progressing. Mm-hmm. I guess that that's definitely where I need de- to go. Definitely determined. Yeah. And, oh yeah. And with the gift that my dad gave me and setting goals. Uh, that's how I live my life. I'm you got your dad to set your goals for you? Of course. No, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a wonderful. It. Even it's a in wonder- spirit now. He just gives me direction and guidance. Uh, okay. Yeah, they oh, never let go, do they? It's a, it's a wonderful <laughs> skill set to have, to be able to um, have that sense. And if you don't reach a goal, what, what happens for you? I also trust the guidance of my own guides mm-hmm. and angels and my intuition and that's happened. And sometimes it's not time. It's just not timing. And sometimes it's not part of that purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Which it's I like think is so time. beautiful because that, that is uh, it shifts it from becoming a failure to yeah. just going, no, it's not failing. This is just, you know, as you said, timing or something yeah. else has to align. Yeah. Well, the impatience of the human you know, the human's brain, you know, is like, I want it now today, mm-hmm. you know, and our, our timing in the universe or God or whoever, whatever you want to call it, and their timing is very different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And that's, that's where I often feel it's that key of trusting and surrendering to the unknown, but mm. staying in alignment to your own soul's journey. That's a hard one. Yes. That's a hard one. Yes. You know, of willingly letting go like that. Yeah. Well, I think it's incorporating both. And, and you know, you're obviously a, a, an example of someone who's from a very young age been able to, you know, access this for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. It wasn't your time then and you knew it. Mm-hmm. And this is probably now to say that, yes, you got this big sign to say it's time to write this book. It's time to have this out here. Yes. And, and when people pick up your book and go through it, and I, I apologize, I haven't looked at your book, um, but what have you had feedback from people that have gone through the book yet? Um, I have had some readers. The, the 
actual copies coming out in the near future. Okay, um, good. So then I don't won't feel so bad. I'll be like, no, it wasn't accessible yet. Okay, not yet, <laughs> uh, but it's coming soon. And we're just I'm finalizing some amazing testimonials from some key people. I'm not going to reveal who they are yet. Sure. Um, uh, but yes, it's coming out soon, and I've had some readers uh, just do a test read, and the feedback's been awesome. Cool. Fantastic. That's really good. That's really yeah. good. Congratulations, really. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. It's a yeah. dream, another dream come true and a goal achieved. Yeah. And ironically, that title I had thought of 20 years ago. And really? I played with I played with many other titles in writing the book, and it still came back to that. It's funny. I just got chills when you said that. Yeah. It's yeah. A, you know, it's that first impression of people, if, you know, people with, you know, discovering their intuition or whatever, if they'd only believe that first, <clears throat> yep. you know, or, or idea or thought and stay with it. Instead, mm-hmm. we go around, we yeah. beat the bushes, we ask a whole lot of people, what do you think? And they mm-hmm. go, well, I don't know. It's kind of a stupid title or a stupid book, or, you know, whatever. And then, and we just become deflated. And, yeah, or we you know, or we don't we don't we go too much into the thought rather than what we're feeling or absolutely. sensing. Yes. My grandmother always told me, and I'll I'll finish on this note, is if you have an idea and a vision and a dream, tell no one. Hold on to it and work towards it because everybody will deflate it. Mm-hmm. Very few will elevate it with us. You know, and she is yes. so true. Very so true. true. Angela, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you, Angela. Uh, thank you. It's been absolutely a pleasure to uh, have you here. Angela's book is called Absolutely I'm Possible, and it will be out very shortly. And it's uh, her debut teaching memoir, self-help and inspirational book from the moment she bottomed out in, the, in that quarry all the way through to where you are today and, and yes. helping other people. Now, next week, it is Alexia and myself, and we're going to be discussing that other pandemic that is out there, the one about loneliness. Uh, it's, a, it's a very big thing. It's a, it's a worldwide phenomena. And um, the, the British government has actually appointed a minister of loneliness, believe it or not. Uh, that's how, how out of control it is. So the, the world keeps growing and so does loneliness. Yes. Fascinating. Anyways, thank you so much. Uh, and we will be back here next week. Be well, take good care of yourselves, and we will be here next Thursday at 8 p.m. Good night, everyone. Good night. Bye now. Thank you for tuning in to Things Worth Considering. Please join your hosts, Alexia Georgiousis and Gord Riddell, for another edition next Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, think about the connections in your life and how they define who you are. 